this never wavering, never deviating from the strategy, it's tiring, it's exhausting. It's also, unfortunately for all of us, the cost of entry to be successful. The reason there's gonna be a billion motivational views today on YouTube is that people love the feeling of being motivated. They don't like putting in the work to do something about the feeling. Be optimistic instead of pessimistic. If you can't do that, you just absolutely have no chance of winning because it's all how one synthesizes what's in front of them. I don't think I'm that talented. I do think I've outworked people. I think that's real. I also think it's controllable. And I think anybody who's watching right now, they may not be the most talented entrepreneur or salesman or uh, you know an amazing uh, craft of content, but if they outwork somebody, that is a variable that feels in control. What's going on guys, your boy Elroy here and welcome back to the Your Boy Elroy MMA podcast. I am your host Josh Prep Igina and I'm here with my co-host Andre Rodriguez. Andre, what's going on? What's going on Josh? Oh man, dude, this just feels right, not gonna lie. Oh yeah. Really excited for our new setup and excited to uh, get into this week's MMA news. Starting off on a bit of a sour note, Andre, we had a few retirements this week. Let's start with King Mo. King Mo retires from MMA. He said he just doesn't feel like he has it anymore. He's beat up. He's a bit broken. What are some like memories that you have of King Mo? Anything positive come out from his career for you? Yeah, I remember um, one of, I guess, his biggest moments of all time. Well, two. Um, at that point, he had fought one of the Gracies. And um, he beat him by, like, unanimous decision. Um, and that was seen as, like, one of his biggest moments. He did actually beat a prime Gegard Musasi. Unanimous decision. Fought smart. Used his wrestling. End of story. But his biggest moment to me was when he goes and he fights Seth Petrozelli, the infamous man who knocked out Kimbo Slice. And he knocked him out with one punch, which was pretty insane because he just tossed his legs and just caught Seth Pedrelli completely off guard, knocks him out with one punch. And it was one of the craziest knockouts, like, of the decade. And I thought that was his biggest moment. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that he's retiring. But, you know, it's like you said, you know, when your body's beat down after a while, competing at the high, the highest level is – not easy you have to change the way you eat you know change the way you train and you know sometimes guys can rejuvenate themselves kind of have a i guess you can say a second wind but some guys can't their body can't handle it yes uh king mo to me is someone who never really reached the pinnacle of stardom always a known character uh he had his character very down packed you know he'd come out with the uh crown and everybody knew that was King Mo, but he was never, like, top-level talent as far as, like, a fighter. Like, very good, but not great. Um, as far as memory goes, my only memory of King Mo, because I wasn't watching everything when he, it was really his time, was his run in TNA. Uh, he was on the opposite side of Rampage Jackson in some ridiculous feud in TNA. Uh, he had some promo chops, which was very entertaining, but as far as anything else, you know, he was just 
whatever. He was there. Yeah, and, and I definitely agree with that, you know. Kind of the whole character thing for him is what put him in that, that stage, you know, when he was getting big fights. But um, I always respected the fact that when it was time for him to be intelligent, like he could do it, and he pulled off some big victories. But, um, you know, it does suck because he never really got a real shot at the UFC. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where I guess we'll never know because with his skill set, maybe he could have got to the top. But, you know, that remains to be unknown. So, Yeah, so King Mo, we bid you a farewell for now at least. Another name that ended up retiring this week, Jimmy Manawa. We uh we made the joke last week that yeah, he's a name, but is he? And then he ended up taking a disgusting shot and getting knocked out cold, later on retiring after the fight. Jimmy Manawa, Andre. Anything? Yeah. I could say that uh it's not a heartbreaking kind of retirement, but it is sad because uh, he never got that shot. And a lot of people thought that his Muay Thai would probably get him to John Jones. And um, he just ran into really good opposition. You know, you can kind of see at some point in his career the uh, the turn when he fought um, Volkan Ozdemir. And Ozdemir just steamrolled him. And, you know, that's just a testament to show that at some point in your career, like, it's that athleticism, it's that speed, it's that youth that a lot of guys have a lot of trouble handling. And you could be the better fighter everywhere, but that confidence that these guys bring, like, you have to be prepared for that. And um, he's just been thrown into the fire too many times against dudes who are trying to get that shot. And he's, I guess you can say he's kind of like the sacrificial lamb. So I think it's a good move because at a certain point, you know, you don't want to see a situation where he's just getting knocked out by every newcomer and he's still in the rankings because they want to push the guy. So, you know, it's like he said, there's a life after fighting. So, you know, best of luck to him. And I think he'll definitely be a great striking coach for somebody because he has in the, in an, an immense amount of knowledge that could definitely be used, you know, for somebody who's coming up the ranks and wanting to be the best. And he knows what it's like to be there. Yeah. So before we get into this next retirement, I want to talk about the main event of UFC fight night Stockholm. We saw Anthony Smith defeat Alexander Gustafson by rear naked choke, I believe. And up until that point where, you know, Anthony Smith took Gus's back. Gus looked great. And he spoke prior to the fight saying, you know, if if Anthony Smith beats him, maybe he just doesn't have it anymore. And, you know, to me, to a lot of people, it was just a throwaway line. But to me, I took that like, wow, this guy, like, cannot lose this fight. It will be devastating. And what ended up happening was, you know, he addressed the crowd after the fight and then said, the show's over, guys, which cryptically probably means he retired. Um, we still haven't heard anything else from Alexander Gustafson, but 
Gus is one of the greatest light heavyweights in UFC history who just like could not get it done. Two split decisions, you know, one one you can question, but then he got whooped pretty bad in that rematch and then the DC fight, which I never th- I didn't think that was even a split decision. I thought DC won that fight. But besides that, Gus put on some great performances. You know, that fight, the split decision with John, oh, what a fight. One of the greatest fights of all time until now. Is there anything that you can add about Gus? Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about a guy who was at the highest pinnacle of a weight class for such a long time. And to have never gotten that shot, is that's truly heartbreaking. Because you look at all his previous fights leading up to getting that title shot. And he's dispatching everybody. He's taking everybody out. And then, you know, he has a small run-in with, you know, Rumble. He gets beat up. He comes, he bounces back, destroys everybody yet again. Gets his shot at D.C., doesn't pull through. Finally gets his shot at John Jones after steamrolling everybody. Doesn't pull through. And you know, it's just like another Uriah Faber. They have the skills to be, you know, possibly number one pound for pound. Because Gus moves like a lightweight. His hands are fast like a lightweight. And he hits like a heavyweight. And that's something that's scary. That's why guys have so much trouble with him. And then it's like, as he's getting down the line, he's fighting before he gets a shot at John Jones. You see the speed advantage. You see how fast he really is now. So now you're like, can Gus pull this off? Can he really do this? Can he beat John Jones this time? And he doesn't, you know. And you know, I, I don't think he should be done because I believe that there's more, you know, for for Gus, even a potential move up to heavyweight. I can see that happening. The guy's six five. This guy's like a 79-inch reach. He's massive for 205. Going up an extra 15 pounds wouldn't kill him. He's going to strike with these guys anyways. I don't really see why he should retire. But I do understand where he's coming from if he is. Because that title is always ever so elusive for some guys. And it's a hard pill to swallow. Because when you think about it, just the bare bones side of it, You spent your entire lifetime, almost, training to get to that moment. Some guys never get it. Some guys do, and they blow it. And um, I just hope that this isn't the last we see of Gus, because I could see a fight between him and some of the best heavyweights, and I could actually see him doing well. I just think he made a a fatal mistake with Anthony Smith, and um, he paid for it. But, um, you know, the comedy did say um, about losing to Smith, if, if it was possible, a lot of people did take that the wrong way, and especially Anthony, you know, and I get why, because he, he feels like he's still trying to prove himself, but, you know, like, he's on a different path in his career, because Gus is a vet. Smith is a vet in his own right, but this is his first time at light heavyweight, like, at the at this high level. Yes, he lost to John Jones. But you just beat one of the best 
like lightweights, light heavyweights of all time. So whether he liked the comment or not, you got to keep pushing, you know, because you might be the guy who's fighting Volkan Ozdemir next. You could be the guy fighting Dominic Reyes, Johnny Walker, and even the winner of Santos versus Jones. So he needs to block out all that noise because I feel like he's crying too much about a lot of stuff that people are saying. And um, that's just not good for the sport. Just move on and get back into the gym. So moving on from fighters who are ending their careers to a fighter who's really just beginning in his career and killing it, Joe Pfeiffer. Andre, we spoke about how excited we were for his fight this past weekend, and boy, did it deliver. We talk about a fighter who's well-rounded, knockout power, vicious takedowns, and just really flashy. And he showed all that off at Ring of Combat this past weekend, Andre. Yeah, and you know, um, the scary thing about Joe Pfeiffer is that I think he's only 23 or 24. He has great jiu-jitsu. Hit, like you said, knockout power in both hands. He's one of those guys that comes around every once in a while that was born to do it. And to be so young in the game and have already gone 5-0, and and not just against, yeah, okay, you can call him scrubs, but he's beating these dudes easily. And the confidence that he's bringing, like, that's going to transcend into the highest levels. You know, so I'm just going to say I'd love to have him on to kind of hear – like his mindset going into fights where he gets that confidence from and, you know, where he sees himself going. Because, you know, I can honestly say I see this dude getting to the UFC probably by the end of the year. I mean, he's taking a fight every two or three months, I think, now. And um, at this point, 5-0, and oh, he wins one more fight. Everybody's going to know who he is. And um, I think this is a great opportunity for him to kind of get himself to that pinnacle. So I thought his performance was great. I mean, those elbows that he landed were some of the vicious, the most vicious I've ever seen. And what scared me the most was how clean they were. He wasn't just throwing them on the inside like a Johnny Walker does. He was swinging those things like John Jones does. He's just winging them out like jabs and crosses. And um, that takes real skill because – you know, it's a shorter distance than an actual punch, straight punch. So you have to understand distance. You have to know how close to get to land it and to still be aware of what's going on with the other person if they're going to try and counter you. So that just goes to show that he has a high a high level of intelligence in there. So um, I'm going to continue to watch out for this guy. Yeah, for sure. One thing that really stuck out to me was the way that he ragdolled his opponent. Uh, I commented on Sammy Orpeza's picture. It was him, Zed, and body bags, and I said, killers. Sammy's really breeding a team of killers over there, and Joe Pfeiffer just showed it off right there. If if our listeners don't know much about Joe Pfeiffer, please do me a favor. Type his name into YouTube and watch the documentary from about a year ago that it's up there. It's about an hour, and it tells you his whole life story. This guy is special. 
I agree. And, you know, um, you know, it's like I said, there's not a lot of guys who can do it at that level at such a young age. So I think that he's in really good hands with, you know, Samuel Rapesa. You know, and even when I'm, like, watching his training videos, like, with Sam, um, their private training sessions for striking, um, it's crazy because Sam, he does this thing with all his fighters where he likes to make sure that every punch they throw, like power punches, that it's a full extension, that they're going through the pad. And that definitely translates to the cage because you're not just trying to, you know, tap this guy to score points you're really trying to put this guy's lights out with every shot you throw and um you can tell that that translates with joe pfeiffer because i when i've watched samuel repays fight back then when he was fighting on bellator and all the smaller shows he was punching guys like that hurting them really bad and you can tell that he's really putting his knowledge to use and showing these guys like look you want to finish guys this is how you do it and that's so amazing so expect to see more killers coming because I know now, like, if you want to be one of the best in this region, like, Sammy's definitely a great place to start. So hats off to him and his great coaching. Yeah, we're really looking forward to seeing more from him. Let's transition to a fighter that we became a fan of through this podcast, just talking about him and kind of understanding his his personality is shtick, and we do enjoy that shtick. It's Platinum Mike Perry. So the news that he put out this week is that he's starting a Patreon. So some listeners may be like, why is that news? And this is more of the discussion that I wanted to have with you about fighters going in and making alternate routes of... What is that word? Revenue? Revenue, yes. So with him starting this Patreon, you know, he's getting paid, you know, and he's he's able to create content for his fans and his patrons, and he gets paid for it. So you think that's the way now with the UFC knowing that they're going to get all these TV deals and, you know, this ESPN Plus deal, and the fighters aren't going to see any of it? It's the way to go because you can have all these deals, but it's not translating into revenue to the people who are making those deals happen. And, um, you know, I had read this before. I don't remember the fighter's name, but I remember a fighter did start, I believe it was a Kickstarter, to pay for his plane tickets and some other expenses because he was fighting, I think, in Brazil. Couldn't afford it because, you know, um, like Paul Felder explained, you only get a free plane ticket plus one. And um, that means, okay, let's say you bring your wife. Your coaches, your family, and your friends all have to pay. And I get it. It's it's an expense. But you can't tell me that $700 million a year isn't going to translate to you saying, hey, we're going to pay your way and all of your coaches. We're going to pay for your hotels. Because we have $700 million <laughs> and possibly more that we're going to make over time. Come on, man. So I, I, don't, I don't disagree with it. Because at the end of the day, aside from the fighting, Mike Perry's a funny guy. And he's also very relatable. 
So if the content reaches out further into comedy or something like that, or maybe people just want to see his training and maybe an instructional thing where he's like, oh, yeah, well, this is what I do. This is how I do it. These are the strikes that I throw. Like, this is how you can learn that. I don't see anything wrong with that. You know, um, one of the first real guys to really do it um, was uh, Dwayne Ludwig. Um, he was fighting in the UFC and still doing kickboxing and Muay Thai matches. And, you know, he put out a couple instructional videos to make some money. Because at that time, you know, he wasn't making a lot because he wasn't like a huge contender. But, um, yeah, if these guys got to do that. Go ahead. Because there are some fighters right now who are working full-time jobs more than 40 hours a week, barely getting training in, and still busting their butt to get in there and, you know, follow their dreams. So, you know, I hope it works out for Mike Perry because, you know, he deserves it. Um, I think he gets a lot of bad rep sometimes for the things he says, but he's a cool dude and he just wants to make his dream come true, win a UFC title, and I think everybody is uh, deserving of that opportunity, so. Yeah, when I think of these alternate re revenue streams, I think of people like GSP that had that Rush MMA, you know, where he had those workout videos. I think of, you know, he who shall remain unnamed, that he has uh, programs like McGregor Fast. He has August McGregor, the clothing line. He has Proper 12. You know, the dude is a businessman. I think of people like... Who else? There's, there's BJ Penn. BJ Penn has this website, you know, that's like, it's his name. And he has a whole news website mm -hmm. under his name. So there's, there's a bunch of people that he's not the first, but I think that him moving to Patreon is a big deal. Yeah. Because we've also seen it lately with a lot of MMA fighters like Kobe Covington, like Ben Askren, putting their stuff on Pro Wrestling Tees which is a website, you know, that you can open up a store and have your shirt designs and the Pro Wrestling Tees makes them and you get a cut. Yeah. So basically you're you're not doing anything. All you're doing is, you know, you promote obviously, but you can put your designs up, never mention it again, and, you know, just get paid. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that one website that I saw. I think it's called Teesprings. Yeah. And um, we have a Teespring account. Oh, sweet. Yeah, if anybody wants to get a Your Boy Elroy shirt, sticker. Oh, snap. Uh, a bunch of stuff is up there that, you know, I just made it because I was listening to a podcast that said, you know, whenever you have the chance to make money, even if you just throw up the store and don't ever think about it, you never know a dollar might trickle in. Yeah. So I made the store. You know, the same thing with Patreon. They say, oh, you should make a Patreon, even if you're not ready to use it. Get your username before you get big. So we do have a Patreon, but wow. <laughs> we're not ready to make Patreon content. So, you know, it's it's that forward step, you know, in hopes that, you know, one day I'm going to be able to charge people to listen to me talk. Yeah, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that because at the end of the day, you know, um, this is just a passion of ours, and uh, eventually it could turn to something huge, you know. That just will be a testament to our hard work and our belief of this. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, the last thing I'll say about this is the bigger MMA is, the better chance we have of doing something in MMA. So I'm going to stay here in my basement and record with you and love it until somebody says, yo, here you go. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. 
So let's get back on track and move on to another fighter moving in a different direction. Beck Rawlings, the bare-knuckle women's champ, gets signed to Bellator. That's For me, that was an interesting move, Andre. I think Beck Rawlings was a a face of that company. And for Bare Knuckle just to let her go, Bellator might be putting out some big money for her. Yeah, and you know, um, I like the move. It's kind of hard to, like what I've seen for a lot of fighters, even, you know, he who shall not be named. When you've been doing it for a long time, it's kind of hard to step away from it. It becomes everything in your life. It, it becomes that passion that you just can't shake. So, you know, on top of that, she she's probably making good money. So I like the move. She's going to be a flyweight, which is definitely going to be interesting. You know, she's going to be coming in. I know that when she was at 115, um, she was one of the bigger girls. So maybe she'll be more comfortable. Maybe this is an opportunity for her to really shine. Because the 125, you know, division in uh, Bellator is is getting up there as far as competition. So um, I like it. And I, I wish her the best. Her hands look nice and crisp when she was fighting in Baranoco FC. I mean, for her to be an MMA fighter and to have those kind of hands putting girls down, like, I, I can only imagine what she's going to do if her career is rejuvenated because she won, the, I think she had two belts or something like that. Yeah, she was a monster in bare knuckle. Yeah, so now she's going in with this kind of confidence where she's like, I can knock anybody out. Like, Let's do this. So I'm excited to see what's going to go down. and We might be seeing a brand new um, you know, contender for Elaine Malay McFarlane's 125-pound uh, title. So it's awesome. Yeah, that's a dangerous fight for Ali Malay. I really like the signing. Beck Rawlings is extremely marketable. I brought this up before when we spoke about her, but she was the reason that I watched that season of The Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. I just thought, like, she looks so cool. She has a, a great look. And not to mention, she was a good fighter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, she had a couple setbacks, but um, when she was, you know, the Beck Rawlings that she was in the UFC, like, she had some fights where she was really outclassing people, like with her hands where you could tell there was a difference between her boxing and MMA boxing. And a lot of girls just couldn't keep up, you know. But um, I think that as long as she puts her mind to it, understands like, okay, this is Bellator. This is a big show. Everybody's going to be gunning for me now because I used to be in the biggest show. I was a champion at a smaller show, but I was – the biggest name basically like you know there's going to be some target there's going to be a target on her back so you know she just has to be prepared for that so yeah hats off to her great move and hats off andre to Ryzen's tension nasakawa the kickboxing prodigy is the champ champ andre i saw the finish this guy is a problem andre what else can you tell me about that performance the guy who stepped in there with him was clearly a great kickboxer. I saw some of his previous fights. Excellent talent. Not enough. And I'm going to be honest, it's never going to be enough. Tension is too well-rounded in karate, kickboxing, and Muay Thai. And in boxing. 
he's just learned everything at such a high level that he's doing it effortlessly. And um, I would really like to see him rejuvenate his MMA career because with a proper trainer who can teach him jiu-jitsu the right way and wrestling and, excuse me, you know, really groom him in his young age to get to that higher level, there could be so much opportunity for him to be a one, to be, you know, in Risen as a MMA and a kickboxing champion, maybe Bellator. But I would really like to see him in one because the one fight that I can only think about, the one fight that I think would matter most would be him versus Mighty Mouse. When he started, he was 4-0 in MMA. He pretty much dispatched everyone he faced. All I thought to myself is, if the UFC signs this dude, he could be the guy to dethrone Demetrius Johnson. Then Henry Cejudo comes along and does it. But I still think he can do it. And um, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. Keep watching. He's still undefeated despite the whole Mayweather mishap. He's still the best in the world at kickboxing, so I'm probably his biggest fan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm watching his highlights all the time, trying to practice some moves that he's doing because, you know, I love this guy. He's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, he's he's super young too, so so much time to grow. And if he does revitalize his MMA career, he has a spot there at one, no doubt. Even if he wants to stay kickboxing – one can pay him absolutely the money that he deserves. Absolutely. Andre, let's get into the lone fight announcement from this week. It's finally official. We spoke about it before. Khabib versus Dustin Poirier in Abu Dhabi. Yep. Is it going to be the same setup that they had the last time they went to Abu Dhabi where they kind of had this make this makeshift like arena? Um, I mean, I hope not because this is the return of Khabib after what happened at 229. Dustin Poirier has emerged as the best lightweight other than Khabib, and he's here to stay. There's a lot at stake for this fight. You can only expect that there's going to be an immediate sellout of wherever they're going to go. And you can expect that there's going to be a lot of people there. A lot of people who are going to watch. I'm going to be the first one to say that I am going to be sitting on my butt, <laughs> watching the entire card, preparing with my hands sweaty, waiting for the Khabib Poirier fight. But um, I think they're going to get it right this time because even aside from this fight, you know, being what it already is, two of the best lightweights in the world going at it, this is going to finally put to rest, you know, this whole Connor. I mean, well, whatever I said his name, Tony, all these guys, Cerrone. This is going to finally show the world what the lightweight division is now. Who's the true king? Now everybody will know this is who I'm gunning for. It's not going to be, okay, well, the title's up in the air. Let's just make big fights and see who comes out on top. Now we can finally be put to rest and everybody can say, Poirier's the king of the lightweight division. Now everybody wants him. 
Khabib is still undefeated and the lightweight champion. Now we can gun for him. We can finally just put this division in a stagnant and consistent place where we now we can make bigger fights. So I'm excited for this matchup because these are two guys who really want it, who are very skilled, and who are badass. Because Poirier, what he did to Holloway, insane. What Khabib did to he who shall not be named, even crazier. So this is the best it gets. Um, and I'm so excited for this fight. You know, the only fight that I could see contending with it is Ferguson Cerrone. So this is going to be a great year. Yeah, for me, this fight is... And I'm going to coin this now. We're going to come back to it when in September when this fight comes around. But I'm calling this fight pure skill versus undeniable hunger. Yeah. Khabib having all the skills to, you know, to be corny, to pay the bills. Yeah. You know, there's no one in this game like Khabib when it comes to wrestling, you know. And the dude has power that comes out of nowhere when he's striking. His submission game is vicious. Um, But Dustin Poirier, man, it's been a long road. And I haven't seen a hungry fighter like that in a long time. And what he did to Holloway, that you could tell that it was like there was no way he was losing that fight. Yeah, definitely not. And, you know, I'm going to agree with you because – Seeing him in that fight, at, you know, at one point against Holloway, everything kind of turned. And you could see that Holloway was kind of getting on a roll. He was landing strikes consistently. He was in Poirier's face. He was in range. He was getting confident. He was like, all right, you cut me, you hurt me, whatever. I'm going to do my thing now. And Poirier took some shots. He did. He took some shots, but he said to himself in that fifth round, no, this is all me. I'm doing this, you know, I've worked too hard, I've sacrificed too much, you know, my kid is watching me, my wife is watching me, like, and there's something to be said about somebody who has that kind of motivation, because you just look at the primal side of it, if these two, they see a dead boar in the woods, and they're thinking to themselves, I'm hungry, who's gonna, who's gonna kill who? Who's going to come out on top and get to eat for that day and possibly the next few days? And that's what I see in Dustin Poirier's eyes. You can tell that he has this confidence where he really believes he's the best. And at a certain level, you have to have that kind of confidence. Because if not, you shouldn't be there. You know, skills will get you to the top, but you have to truly believe in yourself. And Khabib has that too because Khabib says it all the time. I'm just going to smash him. I'm going to do what I do best. They can't stop me. So this is the highest level. And um, the way I see it is, can Khabib weather the storm against, you know, Dustin's ever-growing and amazing and vicious striking? And can he be prepared for Dustin Poirier's black belt level jiu-jitsu? And then on this side, can Poirier prepare for just the intense and unstoppable wrestling of Khabib. Can he weather that storm? Can he stick it through, stuff takedowns, just enough to land some significant damage on Khabib to where he can change the pace in the course of the fight? 
and that's why this fight is much bigger than Khabib versus he who shall not be maimed. That's why this fight is going to be bigger than Khabib versus Ferguson, Khabib versus Cerrone. And and I believe this will be fight of the year. And we've had how many fight of the year potentials already? That's a big 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 call you're saying right there. Come we might have had one of the, maybe the greatest fight of all time happen this year. And you're telling me that this is going to be fight of the year? Yeah, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, when I look at the rejuvenation of Poirier's career after his loss to Michael Johnson, you could tell that it was different when he was going in there. It wasn't just him fighting smart. It wasn't just an increased ability of you know striking defense. It wasn't just his ability to stuff takedowns more efficiently throughout the fight. And, you know, not get gassed doing it. It's like I said, it's that primal hunger in his eyes. Where he's like, this is all I want. And you're in my way. That's it. Number two. Khabib has something to prove. People still think that there's a potential that he could lose to Ferguson. That in a rematch against Conor, he could lose. And the biggest criticism is, he's not well-rounded enough like Poirier. And he's always has a chip on his shoulder. You can tell. Even when he was champ, people didn't give him credit when he beat Ally Quinta. He wants to truly solidify himself as the best. And he wants to be the one and only undefeated UFC champion. Like the first to ever do it. And to do it at 30-0, and 0, that's big. And the third reason is because... There's so many fights to be made after this. The hype is going to be big. And I think the performance out of both of these guys, whoever wins or loses, is going to be the best. And I think the best round of the year all as well, and you heard it here first, is going to be that fifth round, if it gets to that. Do I think there will be a finish? Not in the early rounds. I think it will be fourth and fifth. But you can expect that both guys are going to go out there and just go for that boar. <laughs> go for that meat, you know? Yeah. I'm very excited for that fight. And obviously from the 10 minutes we just put in, just talking about the announcement, you could tell that when that time comes, we're going to have a great breakdown. <laughs> Absolutely. So we talk about combat sports, how anything can happen. So, we saw that this week in that boxing match. Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz Jr. You know, we made the joke. <laughs> I asked you your thoughts. I put in a little clip, you know, a little editing, a little cricket sound, you know. <laughs> um, Not because I didn't think you cared about the fight. Just because there wasn't much to say because... Nobody thought that Andy Ruiz Jr. had a chance. No matter how good he was, no matter the 105 amateur fights he had that he went 100 to 5, wins and losses, nobody thought my man had a chance. And he came in, he remained humble, he took some shots, but then he got to finish him in spectacular fashion. 
how did that make you feel? Because the only reason I knew it happened was because you said it. And as soon as you said it, the first thing I did was go to Twitter. What happened? And then I saw it, and I was like, oof, that is rough. Andre, how'd you feel? I mean, seeing it, actually, because I was watching it live, and, um, you know, like you said, Ruiz got dropped. Sometimes that's all it takes. And um, it's like a switch. There's some people that fight for a living, and they have to get that blood. They have to get hit hard for them to wake up. You know, one of the guys that I've seen that has done that his entire career was Eddie Alvarez. While he was had his, you know, his long stint in Bellator, he got dropped every fight. But after he got dropped the first and second time, he was a different animal. He was fighting different. He wanted to finish this guy. And um, Ruiz just did the same thing. That Mexican warrior came out of him, and he started putting it on Joshua. But it's not just his performance. Joshua just showed that if he would have faced Deontay Wilder, the fight would have been over inside two minutes. And um, it sucks because... I can imagine how hard it stings to know that your U.S. debut came to an unfortunate close by a guy who didn't have a shot against you. And what's worse is that he outclassed you. You didn't get knocked out with one punch. No, you got beat up. And what's worse is you couldn't even take a shot. What happens if he fights Tyson Fury? He gets destroyed inside two rounds. What happens if he fights Deontay Wilder? He gets destroyed within two minutes. Yeah. And the worst thing is that he held on to these belts. And now you know he was just cherry picking. He was picking guys who he's like, okay, he's not as big as me. I can pick my shots, fight smart. He pretended like he took tough fights. Built up his opponent, Joseph Parker. He built up Povetkin. He made it seem like these were the best guys in the world. You were just ducking Deontay and you were ducking Tyson Fury because you knew what was going to happen. And um, I know that left a bad taste in his mouth. Now he really has to work hard because guys like Deontay and Tyson are going to be like, you're not the A-side anymore, buddy. But the beauty of this matchup is now Andy Ruiz gets to say, I want Wilder. I want Tyson Fury. And if he can beat Joshua, imagine what he really can do against the best of the best. Yeah, we talk about heart. We just talked about heart and hunger when it came to Dustin Poirier. Let's talk about Andy Ruiz, who was offered this fight when he was he was representing himself. And he was offered this fight, I believe, last year. And Eddie Hearn comes to him and says, look, dude, I'm going to give you $30,000. You're going to get to fight Anthony Joshua. And he, you know, he bet on himself. He said, no, I'm, I, I can wait. Like, I'll take my time and wait. And guess what? He beat him when he had the chance. And he came home with a few million dollars. Yeah, and you know, now that you bring that up, um, I was reading a lot of uh, articles about Eddie Hearn and um, Anthony Joshua and how they handle business. And I just think it's real disrespectful to the sport of boxing to be lowballing some of the best guys 
and um, it really sucks because just like an MMA fighter, these guys have to go home to their wives. They're being paid to go in there and sacrifice their life. And as everybody knows it, that is a real, true combat sports fan, the sport of boxing is much more dangerous than MMA. There's much more at stake. We've seen a lot of boxers, professional boxers, some of the best in the world, who now suffer from severe brain damage, who suffer from tremors, who suffer from Parkinson's disease. And um, it's really sad how a guy who's 32 and 1 with like 20-something knockouts has to wait that long, and then even before when he's at the pinnacle, when he's considered one of the best, be offered $30,000. It's ridiculous. When you have guys like Floyd Mayweather making $300 million to fight an MMA fighter. It's sad, you know, a lot of these guys don't get valued just as human beings, you know, in, in their respective sports. And, um... I know at some point everybody's going to really put some backlash on Eddie Hearn because it wasn't just Andy Ruiz. Guys like Dylan White were offered low-balled money where they could make more just fighting another contender, not for a title. Like, it's insane. So I'm glad that this happened to Joshua. And I hope he will consider how business was being handled with Eddie Hearn and potentially make a switch because... As much as I liked Eddie Hearn when I started hearing about him, he's like another Don King, and I think it's guys like that that are a true poison to the sport of boxing. And that's the last thing I'll say about that. Yeah, and I really hope that it's not, you know, that lucky punch or lucky set of punches. I really hope that Andy Ruiz has Joshua's number, and he's and he – like you said, he gives Joshua reason to rethink his strategy, whether it's business, whether it's fighting. You know, I'm really looking forward to that because Joshua's still young, too. And he has a chance to be one of the greatest of all time. But the way he conducts himself, you know, he's, he's a humble guy. He's a really good guy. But as far as business, the way he conducts himself is just not healthy for the sport it's not because um it's just and you know i'm a philly guy huge fan of all philly fighters you know in any combat sport he kind of you know it's like a danny garcia situation danny won all those titles after being a mere con he defended them he beat some of the best in the world he got comfortable he started cherry picking fighting guys that had no business being in there with him putting on these big shows up, up against opponents that you knew weren't going to beat him. Had some really bad performances where he was sloppy and you can tell he was just in there to make a big paycheck, a payday, excuse me. And he lost to Keith Thurman, lost everything, loses to Sean Porter, now has to start over again. I don't believe that these sports should be allowing stuff like that. I think that the sanctioning bodies at work should make these, all right, like when they say, you know, the WBC has made this person the mandatory challenger this year for Anthony Joshua. This who need, this is who he needs to fight. There's no big money fight. 
That's how it needs to be. And there should just be a good base of, you know, income for both these fighters to fight. Because it's only fair. You know, you can't tell me that a guy's going to go in there. He made, let's say, $100,000 his last fight. And he gets to fight the lineal heavyweight champion. And he doesn't make a million, two million, three million. He's got to make that kind. You know, and um, I think that the sanctioning bodies have to take more control of, you know, who's fighting who. I don't think the number one, you know, pound for pound should be fighting the number 30 pound for pound in another weight class. It doesn't make sense, you know. But this is for an entirely different podcast, you know, for all my boxing fans. (laughs) Maybe we'll do a special one day. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know I'm not a boxing guy, but I felt like this needed to be talked about, especially after, you know, I decided to make that joke last week. It was no disrespect to any of the fighters. It's just that, like you said, there there was nothing there at the time. Yeah, and there was no telling that this was going to happen. So um, it's definitely just a nice, interesting take on boxing now that we have a new lineal heavyweight champion. So it's awesome. As exciting as that was last weekend, we have a killer, killer card this weekend, Andre. Let's get into the UFC 238 preview. Andre, this card is fantastic start to finish with the first fight on the card being Caitlin Chikagan versus Joanne Calderwood. Now, Dr. Neville, we're a big fan of her, aren't we? Absolutely. Love JoJo, man. Yeah, her move to flyweight has been great for her career. She's moving up the ladder relatively quick. It's it's really weird for me to see that she's the first fight on the card. Yeah, I mean, it's inevitable. She's going to fight the winner of, you know, I and Shevchenko. It might not be immediately, but it's going to happen. And um, it's going to be exciting. Joanne is very well-rounded now. And it's kind of crazy because when you see, like, her first fight um, right after the Ultimate Fighter till now, like, she just looks incredible. And um, I'm just excited, man. There's not much to say because I always knew that she had that ability. But now it's like, it's not just her Muay Thai. Her jiu-jitsu is dangerous, especially off her back. I can only imagine what she's, you know, how she's going to look against, you know, Caitlin. So I'm just expecting an incredible fight for her. And hopefully, maybe she'll call out the winner of this fight. So, yeah, yeah I definitely see that happening. From that, we move on to ESPN for the prelims. Andre, every fight on this on this prelim card on ESPN is, like, must-see. Starting with the featherweights, you know, we have Ricardo Lamas versus Kelvin Cater. I'm going to be honest, I haven't seen Ricardo Lamas in a long time, and I don't know anything about Kelvin Cater. Well, I mean, I rem- well, I think you remember Shane Burgos versus um, uh, Cub Swanson. Yes, sir. Yeah, so Shane Burgos is obviously a really good guy. Um, fortunately, he ran into Kelvin Cater. And Calvin Cater knocked him out. So this dude's hands are serious. Um, we know that Ricardo Lamas, you know, recently got knocked out by Josh Emmett. So I'm looking forward to see him coming back. And, you know, I don't know if he had a fight in between this. But uh, if he didn't, I'm looking forward to seeing him come back to, you know, Lamas form and potentially maybe make another run. Because I've always liked Ricardo Lamas. Very well-rounded, very humble. 
um, just an you know an outstanding fighter. So I'm excited for this fight. Yeah, he was someone who really worked his way up, ended up getting that fight with Jose Aldo, but was clearly outmatched. Yeah, and you know he showed a lot of toughness. Those leg kicks were damaging, but yeah, those were. I I remember seeing it the next day, like the because uh, I wasn't getting pay per views at the time. But I remember waking up the next day to watch the highlights on ESPN and him just getting chopped down. Yeah, and it was one of those fights I was really excited about because um, he got that title shot after a really couple good wins. But the biggest win was when he faced Cub Swanson. And at that time, everybody knows Swanson was on a tear and he was destroying everybody, knocking guys clean out submitting them just doing what cub swanson does he was yeah basically his his resurgence that he's having right now unfortunately he ran into yeah burgers and you know the crazy thing is like he just made one small mistake and ricardo lamas showed him like this is the high level that you need to be on to get a title shot because he capitalized you know but uh one thing i like about lamas is that he shows a great amount of toughness in each fight and he doesn't tend to lose <coughs> confidence. Even when he fought a prime Max Holloway, like, end of the round, the last round, he's still throwing bombs because he believes in himself. And that that definitely will take him a long way if he can get past Calvin Cater. Yeah, from that, moving on to the women's strawweight division, talk about a knockout. We finally get to see Karolina Kovacavich come back after getting destroyed by Jessica Andrade. And Michelle Waterson. And too. Michelle Waterson. She's coming back against Alexa Grasso. Yeah, um, good fight for the division. Both definitely still contenders. Looking forward to see the improvements that Carolina hopefully has made because she did start off kind of well against Michelle, but, you know, end of the rounds, she's just getting dominated on the ground. That's definitely an area that she has to work on, especially – if she wants to get back to the top, because we see who's on top now. That's not going to be an easy fight for her if she gets back up there. Joanna Yanchenchek might be going back to 115, so she really has to focus and get some really clean finishes and wins to really put herself back in that, you know, that top spot. So I'm looking forward to this. Alexa Grasso is a really tough opponent. You know, she's great everywhere, so let's see what goes down. Yeah, moving on to the Bantamweight division, we have Aljamain Sterling versus Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz looking like an animal against Cody Garbrandt. This is sort of a quick turnaround. You know, he's coming back to fight Aljamain, who is also making a quick turnaround after getting that W. Yeah, and you know, um, I'll just say that this is one of those fights that was perfect timing. Both guys are gunning for that spot, especially, you know, with what's, what happened to TJ. Now, guys, Marlon and Henry are fighting for that 135-pound belt. This is the perfect opportunity for one of these guys to prove to be, you know, the runner-up to see who gets that shot for the first defense. Yeah, you got to think that this is the title eliminator. Yeah, and, you know, um, you know, Aljamain ran into Marlon Marias, and unfortunately he got KO'd. And that's just something that happens. But he looks spectacular against Jimmy Rivera, and he's been looking spectacular. He's in shape. He's ready to go, and... He looks like he's back to being the old, you know, funk master. So, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to also see what Pedro Munoz is going to do because 
you know, he just beat the former Bantamweight champion at his own game. And Pedro Munoz is a decent striker, but he was relatively known for his ground game. So, you know, there's a lot of stake at this fight, but it's also going to be the kind of fight that has the potential to be exciting. You know, um, so it's a great fight for this kind of card that's so big and, you know, so great. So, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, fantastic fights in that Bantamweight division. Don't forget we do have Rafael Asuncao versus Corey Sanhagen coming out soon too. So, Bantamweight division is on fire. Absolutely. Moving on to women's strawweight once again. We have Nina Ansaroff versus – Puerto Rico's own Tatiana Suarez. Andre, we've waited for Tatiana's fight to come for a long time now. And she's coming against somebody who's really surging in that division right now. Andre, what's going to happen? Well, quick breakdown. I like Nina Ansaroff. Incredible skill. Great heart. Looking to really solidify herself as the number one contender to get that title shot. And um, now she's fighting Tatiana Suarez. Suarez looks different. She looks like she's cut from a different cloth. She's an incredible wrestler. Her striking's getting there. Her jiu-jitsu's there already. This is going to be one of those fights that is going to be in the books as one of the best for the women's strawweight division. You're looking at the highest level right now. So I'm so excited for this fight. Um, I don't want to be biased, but I will say that I think that Tatiana is going to eke out a decision. But if not, hats off to Nina either way. Both fighters are studs. They're both going in, and they're both potential you know, championship contenders. So super excited. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be unbiased uh, and try not to make a – What's that called? Prediction. Prediction. Yeah. But Tatiana Suarez is going to finish this girl. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the main card. This is a pay-per-view exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. We have Ty Tuivasa versus Blagoy Ivanov. Ty finally coming back. Finally, yeah. He's going to do damage, isn't he? Yeah, and you know um, Blagoy will too. This is going to end up in a very, very violent knockout. And I'm just, I'm going to say this now because it's obvious that nobody's going to the ground. There's no need. There will be no point. And um, Tai Tuivasa obviously coming off a loss to what I would say the number one contender in the heavyweight division. He got thrown in there way too quick. So... Maybe that lit a fire under him, and we get to see a more skilled and more intelligent tie to Ivasa. So, and even Blagoy, because he, <laughs> both of these guys are coming off losses to JDS. So, let's see who comes out on top. So, yeah, yeah. Something that's really confusing to me is this next fight. Why is this on the main card versus the other bantamweight fight we had? Jimmy Rivera versus Piotr Jan. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Because Jimmy Rivera is coming off of a couple losses, I believe. Yeah, Marlon and then Aljamain. Mm-hmm. And um, he looked terrible in both. You know, even though Marlon, you know, that fight was quick, but still, you know. But Peter Jan is different. This guy's coming in excellent striking. 
But um, I think they're just trying to push Peter Jan because they're trying to make him top three, maybe. So if he can get through a vet like Jimmy Rivera, you know, the sky's the limit. I definitely see him fighting for the title soon. So I am excited to see him. I hope, I pray to God that he could finish Jimmy because, like I said, that Bantamweight division is on fire and a finish could be a big deal. Yeah, and you know, I really liked Jimmy coming up. You know, he's Puerto Rican. He's, you know, from around um, the tri-state area. But uh, yeah, he just wasn't focused against Sterling. And, you know, you hate to see that because he's so small for the division. And uh, that's just not good when you're not going in there with a clear-cut game plan because he got completely outclassed by a guy who's not a striker. So let's see what happens. The people's main event. In the lightweight division, Tony Ferguson coming back to fight Donald Cowboy Cerrone. This guy is turning over in what, a month, six weeks? To fight one of the best. (laughs) Maybe one of the best light heavyweights in the division right now, Tony Ferguson. Uh, No, I'm sorry, not maybe. Undoubtedly one of the best light lightweights in the division. How do you see this? Because Donald Cerrone has been on a tear. But, man, Tony Ferguson, like, just watching him on social media, you know, certain clips that UFC has put up of him, he just seems extremely focused and just a brand new, like, El Kukui. I'm going to say that when I see Tony and how he's acting, I'm just going to say, if he wasn't a fighter, he'd probably be a serial killer. <laughs> and um, it's just terrifying. Like, the way he's talking, the things he's saying about this fight. It's not even excitement for me, just as much as it is fear. Because I really don't know what's going to happen in this fight. I can't sit here and say, oh, Tony's going to put the pressure and then Donald's going to break. No, because guys have already tried that four different times. Did not work. And I can't say Donald's going to outstrike him in every way, and if he gets caught in the ground, he's going to – I can't say anything. All I can say is that this is going to be a war. A war. Everyone listen to me when I say this. A war. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But this fight's going to be in freaking credible and – this should have been the main event. Forget titles. This fight has so much at stake. It, it means so much to the fans, especially fans like me. I know I'm definitely going to make my first real like YouTube video breakdown off of this fight alone. That will be my first. And I'm so excited to see who comes out on top. You know, I don't even think that there's going to be a loser in this fight. So, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from this. <laughs> I can't wait. Andre, you know, I've said this multiple times on this podcast, and it has yet to come true. But, Andre, this week, I plan on watching this card with you. Yeah, we're going to have to. I know we haven't gotten a chance yet, but it's going to be rather exciting. So, can't miss it. Moving on to the co-main event, Women's Flyweight Championship title match. Valentina Shevchenko versus Jessica I. I'm not going to lie. I'm not very excited for this fight. I don't know if it's because I'm so excited for so many fights on the undercard. 
that this fight just kind of falls somewhere in the middle for me. Yeah, I, I, I can, I definitely understand where you're coming from. I mean, we can say that Jessica I looks different at 125. We can say that she's had a resurgence in her career and that this could be her chance at, you know, becoming great. But, um, as good as she looks right now at Couture MMA, as good as she looked in the PI, Performance Institute, whatever the hell they call it, I don't see how she matches up well in a five-round championship bout against a 17-time champion in Muay Thai and in MMA. I don't see how she can pull this off. Forget the striking for a second. We've seen Shevchenko submit people off her back. We've seen her, you know, she's submitted people in the top game. And I just don't see it. I like Jessica I because she's a great character. She has a great personality. She's one of those, you know, I think it's blue collar kind of fighters. Yeah. But, hey. Like a every woman's woman. Yeah, and you know, even to the point where she went to the salon and you know got her you know eyebrows or I think it was her eyelashes done or something. I like that. It's cool. It's relatable. But this fight comes down to who's the best, and Valentina right now is one of the best female fighters in the world. So if Jessica I pulls this off somehow, I will be very surprised. But I see this being a five-round destruction. So any fans of Jessica, I get your tissues ready because it might be a bloody one. And the main event in the bantamweight division, Henry the Messenger Cejudo versus Marlon Mudice. Andre, there's, you know, I'm looking at the card, and right under their names are the records of these fighters. Marlon Marais, 22-5-1 versus Henry Cejudo's 14-2. Now, Andre, how important do you think is Marlon Marais being the more experienced fighter as opposed to Henry Cejudo's, like, pure wrestling skills? You know, it's not as important because I hate to say this because I'm a huge fan of Marlon, but the level of opposition that he was fighting previously in World Series, it's... It wasn't the same. He's been fighting some of the dangerous, most dangerous fighters in the world, and he's been finishing them. He's been doing what he has to do to prove that he's definitely the best bantamweight. But um, it's not going to mean much. Um, I'm just going to say on record now that as much as I like Cejudo, I don't buy the hype. TJ got caught. He made a mistake. He couldn't recover. He barely skid by against the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. I don't see how he's beating Marlon Marias. Forget the wrestling. I don't know if he could even take Marlon down if he can't take his shots. So, Marlon's one of the best bantamweights I've ever seen. And if he gets through Cejudo, there's not a lot of guys that I can see really giving him a serious challenge other than guys like Corey Sandhagen and you know he barely got by Lineker excellent performance 
but that power was there till the third round. And Marlon's Mariah's power is different, so I just don't see it. But I, hey, if Cejudo pulls this off, you kind of have to throw him in the top three in pound for pound. Because even though TJ got caught, he did beat him in the first, like, 35, 40 seconds. So I'm excited for this fight, but I'm just going to be biased and go with Marlon because this not it's not even about having the skills to pay the bills. This guy just has clean knockout power in every strike he throws. So that's my breakdown. Can you – all right, bear with me here. You do you remember that meme when Trump got elected of the lady yelling No Oh yeah. Okay. Picture that and then think about me Saturday night on Angie's couch watching this fight and Henry Cejudo wins. That will be my exact sentiments as well. That would be me. I'd be heartbroken. Everybody knows how I feel about Henry Cejudo, especially now. Especially this. Did you watch the media day stuff? Yeah. He is. He's continuing to be one of the corniest people of all time. The worst thing is that he admitted it, and he's like, "You can love me, or you hate, or you can hate me. You haven't done enough to be hated, and you haven't done enough to be loved. Like, look, nobody's taking away your victory against DJ." Nobody's taking your victory away against TJ. But Jesus, man, calm down. You were an Olympic wrestling gold medalist. Nobody's done it at your age. I get it. Be more humble. Nobody likes, and I'm sorry, nobody likes an a-hole. Yeah. There's only certain guys who have that kind of ability to do that because they're bringing huge pay-per-view numbers. He hasn't even touched the surface. So he's got to dial it back because now he's fighting a guy who's really, who really might knock his head off. Literally might knock his head off of his neck. So I hope he's careful in this fight because one mistake is literally going to mean he will end up waking up in a hospital. So let's see what goes <laughs> down. I don't want to see him win as much as I respect the guy as a, as a competitor, but, you know. Either way, this is one of the best cards we've had. Let's see how this goes down. Safe to say we're excited for it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that is UFC 238, Andre. Let's get into listener questions. We have a question from our good buddy, Ron Pashery Jr. He says, can you be the king of the division when you've never been a champion. Wow. So I'll take this first because I think my my answer is pretty simple. I'm going to say no only because I feel like if all right, if you've never won the championship of a division, you can't call yourself the king because the person who's the champ is supposed to be the king, right? Like, right now, we're not looking at the welterweight division and saying, oh, Tyron Woodley's the king. No. Kamara Usman's the king. Why? Because he's the champ. We're not saying who's in the welterweight division that hasn't had. We're not saying Ben Askren's the king. He hasn't won the title in the UFC. He's undefeated, 
but he hasn't won the title in the UFC, so we can't call him the king of the division. Do you feel that same way? I do. And, you know, this kind of goes back to the like two, two main things we were talking about today, people's champ and the gatekeeper. You can be the people's champ. You can be the gatekeeper. Gus was the gatekeeper. Cerrone and Tony, you can say, or even guys like Frankie Edgar, Uriah Faber, they were the people's champ. Those were the guys that wanted, everybody wanted to see finally hold that gold and keep it. But, yeah, you're not the king if you haven't beat the king. You know, in old times, in order to be the king, you had to take the throne from them or kill them to get there. So, yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, honestly, I know why he's asking this question. It's because of that Nate Diaz interview where he called himself the king of the division. Yeah. Listen, Pash, I know you don't like him and his brother, <laughs> but you have to appreciate his like boldness and staying true to saying he's the king. I already slapped Khabib. I slapped Connor. Like even though he took that L in the second fight, he still says like, "No, I beat him twice. Like it doesn't matter." Yeah, and you know, some could argue that he did win. You know, he did make a nice rally at the end. I thought, honestly, I thought he was going to eke out the division, the decision. It would have been incredible. I was extremely surprised. That would have been the end of Connor, to be honest with you. And the only reason he ended up becoming who he was before Khabib, like, was because of the fact that he got through Nate. But Nate has that confidence because he's one of those guys that just. He hasn't really. He's only been really knocked out once in his entire career, and that was to Josh Thompson. And that was because he got hit, like in the skull with a shin bone, and he went down. I don't blame him for getting knocked out, but you know, um, when I look at a Nate Diaz versus guys like Khabib and Dustin and all that, he's always going to be one of the toughest fights. Look at what he did to Michael Johnson after a long layoff. He completely outboxed him. Laughed at him, smacked him up. Michael Johnson's confidence was completely shaken because he's like, this dude hasn't even been fighting. And he just whooped me. So it's crazy, but, you know, I respect these guys because they believe in their ability. And one thing I really liked was uh, when he made fun of Connor because he's like, dude, I'm a black belt. That would never happen to me. <laughs> like, And I've seen Nate get like, ragdolled by Rory McDonald, but he's dangerous. And just like Nick, all they need is that one opportunity. And the perfect example, Nick Diaz in Pride versus Takanori Gomi. He was getting tagged. His eye was almost shut. This dude goes for a lazy takedown. What happens? His opportunity. One of the first Go-Go Plata submissions ever in MMA. And that's why they're so dangerous. It only takes one moment for them to say, gotcha, and that's it. Same thing with Connor. If he lands that perfect left hand and he knows that it's going to hit you really hard, got you, and the fight's over. So, yeah, but he's still not the king because his record is kind of crappy. So the real king right now, we'll find out September 7th. Yeah, because I, I can't call Khabib the king. Just like how you talk about Marlon Moraes not facing the best of competition – you know, a lot of people question Khabib's record yeah. and the padding at the beginning of his career. 
Yeah, because when you look at all of his fights, he never really found anybody dangerous. You know, you can say, oh, but this guy was a judo black belt. It doesn't matter. If you can't toss the guy and control him, these martial arts are useless. Not saying that judo is a useless um, martial art, but if you can't use it efficiently, same thing as Ronda Rousey versus Holly Holm. Where was her judo then? Nowhere to be found. Gets obliterated. So I just hope that if he does beat Dustin that he gets the credit he deserves where he can finally say, hey, I fought the one of the most well-rounded fighters in the world and I beat him fair and square. I want my respect now. And I will be the first to say hats off to you, Khabib. You are the true number one pound for pound. I mean, at the end of the day, he deserves it. The guy's about to be 30-0 if he can pull this off. So, Yeah, yeah. That that's the one fight that might convince me that he is as big of a star as people are saying he is because right now I'm not convinced. Yeah, wrestling is just not enough. And, you know, Connor, Connor wasn't the Connor we're used to. He was just this guy who got a big paycheck to fight somebody that he hated. And was not prepared for that kind of wrestling. Dustin is completely different. Dustin is fighting for a different reason. He has a different cause. He's doing this for something bigger than just a paycheck. Just bigger than himself. So I'm going to stop talking about it because (laughs) it's just amazing. Kings, Kings. We're talking about Kings of the Division. And that fight will solidify the King of the lightweight division. I want to thank Pash so much for that question. And Andre, I am Josh Prep Egina. You can find me on all forms of social media at Elroy Prepson. That is one word, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook as well at that. Please let me know what you guys think. Andre? Well, everybody, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as Flow State Dre, all lowercase, and you can also find me on Facebook as my regular name, Andre Rodriguez. Thanks again, everybody. Keep leaving those five-star ratings. You know, if you have listener questions, please feel free to DM us. We'd love to get some good content on here and answer all of your questions. And thanks again for listening. Yes, and thank you guys so much for all your support. Please let us know what you want us to do apart from the podcast. Me and Andre have a ton of ideas, but if we can gauge the interest of our audience, we can move forward with a few of those ideas. So until now, thank you so much for the support, guys. We really, really appreciate it. Please, if it's your birthday, happy birthday. Enjoy the fights this weekend, and we'll see you next week.